Hi there, and welcome to Hiking the Highlands, a podcast dedicated to all things fun and fascinating about the trails in our region of southwestern Pennsylvania. I'm your host, Josh Byers. Throughout this series, we'll be exploring not only the great outdoors, but the people connected to the pathways in the Laurel Highlands. So lace up your hiking boots, and let's go. So I'm currently standing on one of the more interesting and famous mountains in this area, and I'm joined today by National Park Ranger Doug Bosley, who is the Chief of Interpretation and Visitor Services here at the Allegheny Portage Railroad National Historic Site. How you doing, Doug? Pretty good, Josh. Thanks for coming to the park today. Absolutely. I love being up here. You know, I've been here several times before, but this is probably one of the more interesting places in in all of Cambria County and probably in all of our our region, you know, and like I said, it's got quite the history. We're standing on top of Crescent Mountain um, where, you know, the the canal boats used to be towed uphill and then ride down (laughs) over it again. Yes. And sent all the way over to Pittsburgh. Quite the story we have here, Uh, a little known story, and it's kind of a hidden gem here uh, straddling the, the Blair and Cambria County border. Uh, where the Allegheny Portage Railroad opened in 1834, ran for about 20 years or so, and it was a way to uh, complete the gap in the Pennsylvania Mainline Canal between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, moving the canal boats and all the goods and people back and forth across the state. And it was the, the main way to, to travel yeah. and to ship things for those you know, 20 years or so. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And I know it, it, the Allegheny Portage, well, the, the Mainline Canal, predates like the Pennsylvania Railroad, right? Yes, yes, yeah, by uh, almost two decades. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we're standing right now in the engine house, which I believe at one time in the part, well, prior to this being a park, um, this was all filled in, and you guys had to excavate down and unearth like uh, the foundation, and it, you've rebuilt the, the mechanism that actually used to tow the boats up. Yes, this is uh, reconstruction of engine house number six at the top of incline plane number six, number six out of 10 incline planes on the Allegheny Portage Railroad. And yes, up until 1993, this was sort of a hole in the ground, uh, (laughs) partially caved in. Uh, The only remains that were here were some of the stonework and the, the park service excavated and repaired the stonework that was here had this, uh, this reconstruction of what the building would have looked like. Okay. And it serves the purpose of showing what an engine house looked like, but then also preserving and protecting the remains of the original engine house foundation mm-hmm. that are still here. And then a local gentleman from Crescent, Fred Conniger, uh, who's an, uh, just an amazing person, yep. uh, amazing, talented model maker and artist, and he actually recreated all of the machinery that's, that's in here today in full scale. Really? I didn't know that. And it's, it's, it looks very convincing. It looks like the real thing. It's made yeah. out of wood and plywood and PVC, but it, wow. uh, you, you'd swear at any moment it could, it could fire up and, and it start, looks like it start raising and lowering the canal boats <laughs> on the mountainside here. <laughs> wow. I, I interviewed Fred years ago. He built a, uh, a World War I fighter plane engine. It was like a one sixteenth model or something in, in his basement, it's, and he fired it up. You know, he, uh-huh. he walked up, he filled it with gas, he spun the propeller, and off it went. Um, so, yeah, definitely a, a very talented man, very talented. He either built or uh, repaired, restored most of our models that are in the visitor center. Really? 
I think there's one in there that was on loan from a Baltimore historic site, right? That yes, that he helped uh, acquire, <laughs> that then got uh, sealed in the building. <laughs> yeah, he, you know, that's on basically on permanent loan from yeah. the, the B and O Railroad Museum in okay. Baltimore, and mm. it came to Fred in pieces, and he restored it and put it back together in his front yard in Crescent. He said <laughs> people would drive by his house and do a double take; they'd see right. this locomotive sitting in his yard, and then when it was done, they they brought it here and sealed it inside the new visitor center yep. when it was being built in the early 90s. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> and there it sits today. <laughs> so how long has the park been open? You know, I know obviously the, the Allegheny Portage Railroad is you know, centuries old, but uh, when, when was this uh, designated a national historic site? The, the park was established by Congress on August 31st, 1964. Okay. And then uh, there was a period of, of land acquisition and, and park development. And it was open to visitors by the end of the 60s. Uh, the, the Lemon House, the famous Lemon House, was the uh, part of the original purchase of the park. Which that was, uh, it, it still exists over here. People yes. can go into it. Yes. Um, it, was it like a, a bed and breakfast at the top of the mountain or? More of a rest stop. Okay. Uh, it's a very large building and people usually assume it must have been some kind of inn or something yeah. like that. But most of the time, just the way the, the train schedules were, folks were only in there maybe a half an hour or so okay. for a, a meal break, basically, yeah. then they'd be on their way again. Okay. And that was the original visitor center back starting in the late 60s oh, up really? until 1992 when the current visitor center opened. And then once it opened, uh, the Park Service restored the interior of the mm -hmm. Lemon House, uh, original paint colors, finishes, furnishings, so it does look very much like it did if you would have walked through the front door around 1840. I can tell you, I've been in it. It does look that way. <laughs> I think you guys even have it laid out, like uh, decorated. So it it does. It looks like you walked yes into uh, a time machine. Detail that, of how it would have looked around 1840, like you're stepping wow. back in time. Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> All right. So I know that you guys do just a ton of different activities, reenactments, um, educational programs up here. Can you walk me through some of that? Sure. Uh, it, coming up in May, we really get into the heart of our school field trip season. So we have a lot of schools uh, finally coming back, being able to come back to the park That's for, be a, nice. <laughs> for a field trip, visiting the, the park buildings, uh, talking to the, the rangers. We usually do some sort of historic demonstration, whether it's stone cutting or rope making, something like that. Uh, and usually uh, there's a short hike involved over to our picnic <laughs> area, then the students usually eat lunch. Then starting in June, our, our summer schedule of, of ranger programs and demonstrations uh, daily throughout the summer. We have uh, one or more of our rangers in period clothing doing those various historic trades demonstrations. Always cool to uh, see. In the, whether it's in the old stone quarry or here near the engine house, uh, mm -hmm. always something different to see there. We'll have a limited series of hikes this summer on some of our trails and some of the other uh, related sites in the area. Uh, we haven't done all, a lot of those for, for a couple of years now. Yeah, obviously, <laughs> unfortunately. We'll be, yeah. Uh, we'll be having our, our evening programs again on Saturdays. This year, there'll be mainly ranger talks, yeah. uh, not our, our concerts that we usually mix in, too. Uh, just That's right. You guys have an amphitheater yes. at the top of the hill, right above yes. the, the current visitor center. Yes. Um, yeah. Usually in the summer, we have a rotation of of uh, bands or other okay. musical performances and then guest speakers or, or ranger talks yeah. 
And uh, since we're just starting back into it this year, we're just doing the talks. Okay. Uh, with not knowing which way things could go, yeah. don't want to have a big uh, event planned in there, a concert or something, and then have to cancel it yeah. or limit the number of people that can, can come or you know, have more people than we're really ready you for can accommodate? at this yeah. point. So we're kind of starting off slow. Yeah. That makes easing sense. back into our, our regular program schedule. Okay. And that's, I, I can uh, vouch for the programming up here. I've been to a couple of ranger talks. I've been on uh, a hike led by Doug, and he, he is a wealth of information. Uh, it's actually, um, I did the Path of the Flood Trail. That was the first time I, I interviewed anybody for this podcast. I went with uh, Cliff Kittner from oh. the Triple CRA, and uh, we got to the Staple Bend Tunnel. And I told him the story about the the whiskey and bacon and the explosion. <laughs> and let me tell you, that is one of the most talked about little tidbits that I have shared <laughs> in months. People love that story. <laughs> and we usually put that in the rotation for our our spirit tours that yeah. we do around Halloween down there. That yeah. uh, that one that one fascinates people. Just this little found this little blurb in right? an 1840s <laughs> newspaper about when that happened and. Uh, really catches people's attention. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a good story. But so uh, you, you mentioned hikes and I know that yes. there are there are at least two trails up here at the Allegheny Portage Railroad. The the six to ten trail, which starts yes. I think in Holidaysburg, correct? Yes, that, well, almost Holidaysburg. Holidaysburg. It's okay. the, almost the Duncansville, the foot of ten area. Right, right. And then you actually can hike up the mountain and land here at the engine house. Yes. I've done it. It's exhausting. Uh, <laughs> and then um, there is another trail out towards the picnic area. Yes. Yeah, the, it's the summit level trail. Okay. And it basically continues the, the route that the 6 to 10 trail follows along the old railroad out along the, the level top of the summit ah. out almost at the edge of Crescent, about another mile and a half from here at the engine house okay and then there's even there's uh trails that branch off of it that go directly to the picnic area and then another trail uh, called the nature trail that loops off about a mile up into the woods and then circles back to the to the uh, summit level trail okay and so uh, people can walk a nice nice loop there i think, I, I think that's the one i've done okay well do you want to head out there Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> we are, uh, I'm going to give everybody listening uh, a warning here. We are, like I said, at the top of a mountain, and it is windy today because the weather is constantly changing in this Pennsylvania spring. Um, <laughs> so I'll do my best to try and cover the microphone when it gets uh, too bad, but, uh, you know, like that right there. Okay. Always windy up here. Right? <laughs> So how long have you worked uh, at the Allegheny Portage Railroad? I've worked the Allegheny Portage Railroad and then the Johnstown Flood Memorial. We operate those two parks together mm -hmm. since 2000. Okay. So, wow. Uh, so yeah, you're, in, you're coming up on in, 22 years in, in, now. Ju in June, it'll be 22 <laughs> years. Wow. <laughs> how did you get into the National Park Service? I've always been interested in, in local history, uh, coincidentally in the Johnstown Flood and and early canals and railroads, so that that worked out. Uh, and when I was in college, I had a, a professor who he had actually worked for the Park Service years before that, and he gave an announcement in class one day. Where are we going from here? Up, up here. Okay. Oh, good. The wind will be at our back then. <laughs> he gave an announcement in class one day about seasonal 
jobs with the National Park Service and if anybody okay. was interested to come see him after class and I was the only person that showed up and oh jeez <laughs> he gave me the paperwork and told me what I needed to do and submitted an application and was hired as a, a seasonal park ranger first and then after a few years I became permanent permanent position here and then that's awesome uh, a few years ago became the, the supervisory park ranger chief of interpretation here oh that's really cool <laughs> i'll tell you what that's something uh a few years ago i was considering a career change i think i actually got in con contact with you about this because i was fascinated by the life and work of john muir Mm -hmm. and his connection to the national park and i was looking into what does it take to become a national park ranger <laughs> which it's a little more complicated now there there's a whole online system you have to navigate and look for uh, it, yeah. obviously it didn't work out for me but uh, i can tell you that uh in my opinion you've got the dream job <laughs> i think so myself i'm i get to live out my dream every day getting to talk to folks about local history and the great stories that we have here at our area national parks. I couldn't agree more. And, uh, you know, like I said, it, it's, this area is so rich with history. And I've talked about that before on the show. And that's actually part of the reason I wanted to hit the, the Allegheny Portage Railroad, just because of, you know, being up here before, listening to you talk and how, how tied to this whole area's history to, to steel making to you know like you said manufacturing mm -hmm. to the fact that um what was it I, I once attended a class not a class but a ranger talk where the discussion was that steel cable was created because of the allegheny portage railroad basically yes the john roebling the the famous designer of the brooklyn bridge Earlier in his career, he was a canal and railroad engineer in Pennsylvania. And as part of his work, he traveled on the Allegheny Portage Railroad to navigate the swamp here. Right. <laughs> and when he was traveling on the Allegheny Portage Railroad, he would hear uh, stories about the, the large hemp ropes that were used on the incline planes on the Portage Railroad breaking. Right. Causing accidents, killing people. And it got him to thinking... And there's got to be a better better way to do that and he knew of some experiments in europe yeah on wire rope and so but he kind of put all the pieces together with the experiments that had been going on here and there and just basically had the idea of making a rope but instead of twisting natural fibers together twisting very thin iron wires together into a rope and that's why it was called wire rope that's crazy and and he did that not far from here right he did that north of Pittsburgh okay, and then tested a, a rope out in, in Johnstown on the, the boat plane where they, <laughs> oh, this is nice here. <laughs> like I said, spring in Pennsylvania, yeah. swamps everywhere. <laughs> tested it out on the boat plane in Johnstown where they pulled the canal boats in and out of the water for the railroad. Okay. And then finally on one of the 10 incline planes and it, it worked. It was uh, just as strong as the hemp rope if not stronger and then it didn't wear out and break all the time like the hemp rope did and so eventually all of the the inclined planes had their ropes replaced with the iron wire rope uh, roebling went on 
to make the wire rope suspension bridges and you know, culminating in the the Brooklyn Bridge that he designed. But it all all got started here on the on the Allegheny Portage Railroad. Almost took a twig to the eye. Um, <laughs> yeah, how crazy is that? The, you, you would never think that such a uh, important invention would be connected right back here to you know to the Cambria Blair County line. Right. <laughs> And if I remember correctly, um, part of the issue with the hemp rope was that you couldn't tell when it was at the end of its life. It, it just, you used it until, well, unfortunately, it snapped. It, it would look fine on the outside, but it could be rotting away on the inside. And, right. And you wouldn't know it until that day that it snapped. Which I know there's, uh, I think you give a talk in, usually around October, about the uh, the accidents on the railroad, which I remember yes. several uh, canal boats and such flying down the six to ten <laughs> inclines. Yeah, a lot of times, one, when one of those ropes broke, there wasn't always something to hold it back right. from going the whole way to the bottom and smashing in a big pile. And many times there were either worker or passenger deaths involved. Yeah, that is unfortunate but fortunate that uh you know the steel cable was then able to be implemented that yes prevented a lot of that from that point on it greatly reduced the number of accidents and then uh speaking of so the 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 railroad right went down from crescent and it followed the main line so it traveled through lily and portage and uh south fork and on down into the city of Johnstown, yes. where, if anybody's familiar with the old history, um, there was the feeder canal where they would drop the boats back in and send them off to Pittsburgh. Yeah, right, right down almost in the center of Johnstown, all of that was happening, moving boats back and forth between the, the canal to Pittsburgh and the, the Allegheny Portage Railroad. That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> We're uh, actually starting this year, we're putting a big focus on, on our trails, uh, not just here, but at all five of our Western Pennsylvania National Park Service sites. So okay. in addition to Allegheny Portage Railroad National Historic Site, uh, Johnstown Flood National Memorial, Flight 93 National Memorial, Fort Necessity National Battlefield, and Friendship Hill National Historic Site. We have over 30 miles of trails in our five national parks here in Western PA. I didn't know and that. We, we want to let folks know about that. Yeah. that we have you know, great trails like the, the nature trail that we're walking now. I know, this is really nice. And part of the sort of the package that we'll be putting together to highlight our trails, we'll be doing social media, highlighting the trails on our websites, and then uh, sort of the big project will be making a sort of a weatherproof map of all of the trails at our five national parks that's so cool so yeah. what what uh you know kind of kicked off this process of, of highlighting the trail system we have several trail re related projects going on now especially at our johnstown flood and allegheny portage railroad sites but mm -hmm. also at flight 93 and up here at allegheny portage railroad because we have the the most miles of trails in those five sites 
we have about 17 or 18 miles of trails. Wow, and, I didn't know that. And our volunteer coordinator, Margaret Spiker, is organizing a volunteer trail maintenance group. Okay. And they'll be having meetings probably starting next month and then having work days at least once a month into the fall. And anybody that's interested can reach out to the park and yeah how could they do that maybe at some point here we can uh get the information out but probably the best even the best place to start if you can go to our website you can get contact information there okay www.nps.gov forward slash alpo and with all those miles of trails we always could use a little bit of extra help oh yeah i'm sure and we're we're hoping this volunteer trail group will be a good connection with the community and area trail groups because uh, a lot of them are already using the trails but mm -hmm. not everybody's completely familiar with them so that's one trail related project we have going on and then at johnstown flood mm -hmm. we have the last piece of the path of the flood trail uh with, I, with Cliff Kittner and the yeah. Triple CRA. I just talked to Caitlin about that <laughs> on the last episode. Yeah, <laughs> that's so cool that, uh, you know, after all, all this time, after all this work, <laughs> the, the path of the flood will finally be connected to the piece. park. It'll be right up there to the south abutment of the remains of the dam in the park. Which, so if, if you've never been, is quite the experience uh i i actually went the first time probably two or three years ago and i lived here my whole life <laughs> never been to the uh the the uh, flood memorial park and um it it was breathtaking a just to stand on the abutments and look out at where the lake used to be and realize that it was uh, which, by the way, it's the South Fork Hunting and Fishing Club. Um, it was their lake that burst in 1889, causing the Johnstown flood. I always have to remember to <laughs> remember to uh, remind people or tell them what I'm talking about yeah. because I often take for granted what I know about local history. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but just standing on that, uh, you know, on the the broken piece of the the dam and looking out and seeing just how massive that lake was and realizing that it's also right beside route 219 which i and i've driven past it hundreds of times in my life never realized that's what it was it couldn't be any closer to 219 it is <laughs> it is right there so later on this year people will be able to walk from the dam where the flood started the mm -hmm. whole way into Johnstown that wow. final piece will be completed wow. and it will truly be the whole path of the of the flood that's uh, so when the you know, when myself and other rangers lead those path of the flood hikes yeah we'll be starting right at the dam that's that is so neat and when like the, the triple CRA and Johnstown Area Heritage Association with the path of the flood historic races you know Probably by next year they'll be starting they'll right be start at the dam. At the dam, wow! And it'll be again truly the, wow. following the, the entire path of the flood. So we're we're pretty excited that uh, with that final piece getting started here shortly, and uh, I it won't take so. too long to build because it is a it's only several hundred yards long. Yeah, that that sounds like a really awesome project. I'm glad that it's 
finally being completed. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's been years in the making. And then a, a bigger trail story, a bigger project that ties in with the path of the flood trail, and then also eventually to Allegheny Portage Railroad mm -hmm. is the September 11th National Memorial Trail or the 9-11 the Trail. Also an awesome story. 1,300 mile trail that will connect the three 9-11 sites of the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and Flight 93 in a sort of a triangular loop. Yeah. And it's in development right now. It can be used right now. There's on-road sections, but mm -hmm. uh, slowly gaps will be filled in. I, I think that uh, President Biden just um, just designated it a yeah, national last, trail. Last October, it was officially designated as a national memorial trail. That's fascinating. <laughs> and that the 9/11 trail, using various trails that, that are in existence or in development, will actually connect three of our national parks in western Pennsylvania: Flight 93. Johnstown Flood National Memorial, and then here at Allegheny Portage wow. Railroad. See, I, I knew it was coming through the area, obviously. I didn't realize it would connect all three of the, the national parks in this area. Yes. That's, oh, that, that's, I'm at a loss for words. That's how awesome that is. <laughs> <laughs> well, and because I, I think of it, you know, watching this trail develop, right, and, and reading the updates and realizing how much of an impact on the area it'll have i always think about the appalachian trail right and just the fact that you know that's about a thousand miles longer than what the 9-11 trail will be but just how many people that attracts every year the economic boost that that trail provides the the history lessons that are abound <laughs> throughout right um it's just it is it, it's it's Leaves me at a loss for words. And with with all of the, the trail users that are on, already using portions of the 9-11 trail that are pre-existing trails, mm -hmm. uh, and those numbers will just go up, and then th those users will be funneled into the you know, the newer sections of trail. Yeah. I mean, this, the, you know, the huge numbers, whether it's on the, the C&O Canal towpath or the Great Allegheny Passage. Oh, that's uh, right, because that, that'll all will be connect. parts of the, the 9-11 trail. And well, then, oh, good! It's starting to rain. <laughs> well, we're a little bit protected in here. Yeah, I know you have a nice, uh, a, a nice <laughs> covering for your hat. I, <laughs> I'm glad I remembered that today. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I want to circle back here, um, just to the national parks in this area. Um, can you explain for the people uh, the the simil the? How do I want to say this? what a national historic site is or memorial site is and how that fits into the national park service system there are over 420 units of the national park service mm -hmm. uh, a few get added every every few years and there's different designations to the to the national park service all units are equal mm -hmm. whether they're it actually is part of the name you know, like yellowstone national park right or if it is something like Gettysburg National Military Park. Right. They're all, in the eyes of the Park Service, they're all equal, but they're different designations for uh, what type of, whether it's a cultural or a natural resource or some other nationally significant reason that that site was created. So here at Allegheny Portage Railroad, 
and down at our Friendship Hill site, we are National Historic Sites. Mm -hmm. And you know, usually there, uh, a particular event or something like the Allegheny Portage Railroad. Yeah. Uh, representing those. And it, it's more history-based, so it's a National Historic Site. Okay. Uh, like CNO Canal is a National Historical Park because it's, it's larger, more parts to it. So it's similar to a National Historic Site, but uh, has more moving parts. Okay. Uh, a National Memorial it, it commemorates some sort of of event in our in our nation's history, such as the flood. Yes, the okay. Johnstown flood or Flight 93, things like that. Um, where that's the uh, the main reason of being is to uh, commemorate and be a place of remembrance for some particular event that has happened. I got you. That's that's something that um, I mean, really, since I started learning about the national parks and and how the system works and everything, gave me perspective on just how fortunate we are yes. to have to have three in this area in Cambria, Somerset, and then have what did you what did you say five in five altogether in our in our regional grouping under our our superintendent Stephen Clark. That's crazy. actually before I um, before I met you there at the visitor center uh, I walked up because I wanted to get a photo of uh, the plaque below the amphitheater for Stephen Mather yes because and I think I talked about him when I was with um, Kim Peck who's a DCNR ranger okay uh, we were doing the Laurel Highlands Trail but Stephen Mather was instrumental in developing what we now know as the national park system right. down to the hat that you're wearing <laughs> which i thought was so cool that's i watched the the ken burns documentary a couple of years ago during my whole interest in john muir and everything uh -huh. um and that was mather is the one who designed or well not designed but put together the the ranger uniform and the hat was a popular design at that time. Mm -hmm. I think it was the early 1900s. And it was a favorite of his. So he said, you know what? <laughs> That's happening. <laughs> it's, it's a very practical hat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm out here today. It's, it's raining a little bit. Uh, the hat's almost like I have an umbrella. Right? <laughs> That's actually why I, I have this. I think it's a <laughs> Panama hat is what it's called. Uh, made in Ecuador. I bought it a couple of years ago because when I was hiking, I was just wearing like a ball cap, just something cheap. Uh -huh. And that was okay, but it wasn't as practical as it could have been. And so, <laughs> no joke, I was watching Jurassic Park one day, the first one. <laughs> and I saw, um, what's his name? Uh, Sam Neill's character with this kind of hat on mm -hmm. and I went huh that's interesting I should look into that <laughs> and I have never gone back <laughs> this is my every no matter where I'm hiking like you said it's like having a little umbrella um it's a great sunshade great sunshade days that the sun is shining instead of the rain falling right <laughs> which was yesterday yes. it was beautiful yesterday I uh I, I had a, a nice long hike because I was off um which 
ended up going up to the top of Dishong Mountain. Not on purpose. Uh, <laughs> I just kept seeing that the, you know, the clearing kept going to these levels, and I thought, well, I'll just keep going. <laughs> Which way are we going here? We'll be going up here, but... Oh, oh this... Uh... Okay, talk to me about this. For those obviously listening, um, it is a, a stone culvert just in the side of the hill. We've just come upon one of the original culverts from the Allegheny Portage Railroad. Uh, there, there are 68 of these uh, to allow s- small streams to pass under the rail bed, and that's what we're actually looking at up there is okay. the, the rail bed of the Portage Railroad. This was a, a low spot on the, on the mountaintop, and they built the culvert over the stream first and, and then brought in earthen fill on top of there so wow. the railroad has a nice flat path going along there and a short distance out down the trail will be going through the the cut where that fill came from there was a high spot yeah that they had to lower down to again keep it nice and level here yeah on the summit level of the railroad and uh, that culvert with that small stream passing through uh, it's still since the day it was built i was gonna say it still looks good (laughs) water is still passing through there it's still doing its job allowing drainage not to build up behind the the railroad embankment right. and eventually it would fill up and run over the top and erode it so it's, right. uh, it's still doing its job a testament to the the workers that built the allegheny portage railroad you know, over 180 years ago wow that's impressive it actually makes me think of below the engine house across old 22 is the skew arch bridge yes was, was that part of the original allegheny portage railroad yes it allowed the, the wagon road to pass over the tracks okay so it was the, the railroad went underneath through the arch and then a wagon road passed over the top and they had to build that because the where the wagon road and the railroad crossed was in the middle of one of the incline planes number six oh. and because of the ropes and the slope of the incline plane they couldn't just have a regular railroad crossing like they would somewhere else right so they had to build a bridge up and over the tracks and and it's literally skewed (laughs) yes because of the the particular angle that the the path of the road crossed the railroad yeah uh and the it was a private turnpike so the the people that ran it were very adamant about it not changing course so they had to build it at that particular angle across the railroad and that meant that the arch through underneath doesn't go through at a right angle to the the bridge up above so that's that skewed angle yeah and uh, some amazing stonework, all the different angles that come together, and to think that was all, it was all cor- hand done, quarried yeah. and, and and all the masonry done by hand in the early 1830s. And wow. again, it's just like this culvert before still us. Standing. It's still standing, still there. That's crazy. <laughs> An engineering marvel that's lasted the test of time. Just just every maybe every 20, 30, 40 years, uh, do some repointing work yeah. on the masonry, and that's that's, that's all it. that it takes. Wow. <laughs> All right, which way are we going now? We'll be going up, up this, this way. Hill. And we're still on the, the nature trail, right? Yes. Okay. And uh, shortly we'll be com- coming out onto the summit level trail. I'll tell you what, it's just as gorgeous as I remember it being. It's, <laughs> it's probably been four years since I was on this one, but it's really nice because, you're well, you're still in the National Park, mm-hmm. uh, but you are removed from society. <laughs> You, you know, you get kind of the, as I slip and fall in this mud, uh, you get the best of both worlds. You get to come up to the APRR and, and learn about local, national, and world history. Uh, and then you also get to take a hike. And, and we're just 
I mean, literally minutes from the off-ramp of a major highway, US-22. Yeah. But yet in that short distance, you know, you're transported here out into the, the middle of nature, into the middle of, of history with the Allegheny Portage Railroad, and you kind of forget about all of that all of that modern stuff. <laughs> so you really are living the dream here. You get to, to spend all day <laughs> just kind of, you know, roaming and talking. This is my office. Yeah. Now we've we've looped around the entire nature trail, about a about a mile. Okay. And we're now we're on the roadbed. It's called the summit level. We're here on the top of the mountain. Uh, ahead of us is Incline Plane Six and the engine okay. house where we started out. Yeah. About a mile and a half back the other way, the outskirts of Crescent and where Incline Plane Number Five was wow. heading down to Johnstown, Holidaysburg. Is that back the other way? The outskirts of Crescent is that um, Veterans Park? Is that what butts very, up against very this? close there? Yes. Okay, okay. Yeah, sort of the backside of Veterans Park is where this trail comes out. Okay, and it eventually turns into uh, Portage Street, yeah, and then Level Road, and then Level Road's actually because you're driving on the Allegheny the Portage Railroad. <laughs> I never knew that. You actually drive down some of the incline planes. <laughs> wow, wow, that that definitely puts that in perspective. Yes. It's funny, you never think about it, the way things are named and the fact that they're named that way because of mm -hmm. the history behind the area. Yeah, most of Level Road is on the levels of the, the Allegheny Portage Railroad. Yeah. Huh. Now, does, um, does this bed still have the, um, I can't think of what they're called, the quarried rock that held the railroad ties? The sleepers. The sleepers, yeah, thank it was, you. It was their version of a, a railroad tie. Yeah, there, there's still most of them are here. They're oh, there's literally underneath the three top right soil, in front of us. <laughs> some of them have kind of frost heaved up through, yeah. and you can still see them. You can still see the the marks where the rails were attached. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. I remember you talking about that on the the path of the flood uh, historic mm -hmm. uh, hike, and just the fact that this is a hunk of stone that they cut into a roughly a square shape um and then drilled holes into it <laughs> they're they weigh about 500 pounds a piece they're made out of sandstone all quarried from not too far away because they weigh 500 pounds a piece yeah. <laughs> you don't want to have to move them too far all hand done uh, when the block was shaped then those two holes were drilled to the top and they would pound wooden plugs down into the holes and that's what they would okay. spike you need something to put the railroad spike yeah. into so that goes down into the wood to hold the rail onto there there's about, uh, since it was all hand work, it was about 24 hours worth of labor for each one, each of, these, one of them. Each one of these, and there were Jeez. almost 200,000 of them on the 36 miles of the railroad between Holidaysburg and Johnstown. So a crew of thousands of people were building the railroad, including making these these sleeper stones. That's insane. Uh, yeah, a lot, <laughs> a lot of work just into one of those. Uh, and they're they're still here. The idea was they basically copied English railroad technology at the time, the mm -hmm. 1820s and 30s, where in Great Britain, even then, most of the forests had been cut down, so wood's yeah. very valuable, so they made the railroad ties out of stone. And an added benefit would be, too, that it's going to last forever. It's not going to rot away like a piece of wood. Yeah. Uh, and when the, the American engineers brought that idea over here, they didn't really think... Uh, <laughs> looking around at all the trees so they made them out of, they went the hard way and made them all out of stone uh, they, they last they're still right they're, they're still, still here, here. they're still would you here. say 180 years later they're they're still here we're standing here looking at them. <laughs> one thing that they didn't consider 
in Pennsylvania versus in the British Isles is that the winters are a little bit more intense yeah. <laughs> and the frost heave shove these you can see some of them are sticking up higher yeah, than others higher. because of the frost heave and they're they're not true railroad ties because they're not they don't tie one rail to the other so each side is independent of the other so as they're <laughs> being shifted around in the frost heaves and then when the ground thaws back out in the spring yeah they don't end up where they started no. <laughs> the previous fall so it was a lot of labor adjusting the rails so that they kept the gauge yeah. the distance between the rails of uh, it was four feet nine inches uh, a lot of work doing that would have been easier if they would have just used wood but yeah. they there were really no railroads in america at the time and so they went to study where most of where the railroads was, were yeah. at the time was in Great Britain, and that's how they built railroads there. So yeah. they they transferred the technology they brought it here, but they quickly they learned the lessons, and yeah. there weren't too many railroads built like this in America. And they went pretty much almost immediately then to using wooden okay. ties. I was going to say, how long into the life of the APRR was were these sleepers used? Since they they made them and they 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 put them in there for the whole 36 miles minus the incline planes they used them pretty much right up till the end because they were already oh, here geez. what they ended i guess up, that makes sense <laughs> what they ended up needing to do is if there were problem areas where the stones were really shifting around and causing the gauge to expand or contract they would actually install a wooden tie between every few sets and okay. then that would keep the rails tied together keep together and then on the incline planes themselves they used wooden ties there from the beginning just because of the slope yeah these big heavy blocks would slowly want to migrate downhill <laughs> almost and like so, gravity had an effect yes, on them <laughs> yes so they they did use wood there but every place else uh on the inclines made up about five of the 36 miles of the railroad so the other 31 miles were these stone sleepers and again they used them right up to the end since they had all, already gone through the trouble of making them they just kept, just kept using going. them and dealing with the maintenance issues that yeah. <laughs> that their choice had caused <laughs> Wow. So how long, I know you said that the, you know, this section was 36 miles. How long was the total uh, rail canal line from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh? Just under 400 miles, about 394, 93, 94, depending on if you're counting you know, sidings and branch tracks, but okay. just under 400 miles. Jeez. And the, the mainline canal was one of how many? Pennsylvania had more canals than any other state uh, really? they pretty much into every nook and cranny of the state at the time pennsylvanians really had uh, a case of canal fever <laughs> in the 1820s and 30s and uh, one one uh, politician at the time said that they pennsylvanians built a canal along every brook deep enough to float <laughs> a duck on uh, but the the main line of course was the most important with that name main line yeah uh, five sections between philadelphia and pittsburgh two railroad sections the columbia and philadelphia railroad down on the eastern end and the allegheny portage railroad and then three canal parts the eastern division the juniata division and then the western division between johnstown and pittsburgh okay and when all of that opened in 1834 when the the, the allegheny portage railroad was finished it cut shipping times across the state from three to four weeks by wagon shipping goods yeah. down to a week or less using the canal that's the that's Portico quite Railroad. the so uh, advancement leap. yeah and so between the time investment involved in moving something and then the labor that it took over that time that three to four weeks 
and then being able to ship a lot more in a canal boat versus one wagon yeah the shipping costs for just about any product or commodity or anything you know, dropped almost overnight suddenly everything's cheaper in the stores and right we, we all like that <laughs> yeah, i know especially right now <laughs> yes and uh in the visitor center you guys have a model of the the typical canal boat don't you yes in our new visitor center exhibits that were put in in late 2019 we have a full-size recreation of a, a section of one of those sectional canal boats that oh, okay. could go on the canal or on the railroad be loaded onto a flat car and carried on the railroad wow so uh, visitors can go inside get to experience the cramped space you know, imagine <laughs> traveling in that cramped space for about a week you know we i complain about being uh, <laughs> on an airplane for a few hours yeah. with our fellow passengers imagine being with them for a whole week <laughs> i see we here we're coming up on the lemon house and we have um a bunch of these sleepers laid off on either side of the yes. railroad bed yeah these were actually down ahead of us where there are some reproduction rails laid ah and not all of the original sleepers were there in that stretch okay so they were going to have to create some more anyway and they were worried about pounding spikes into the original sleepers and splitting them in half because they do tend to split where those two holes are on yeah. the top well it's a weak so part they, of the stone yes so they made a whole new set of sleepers for that stretch so they wouldn't be damaging anything original and those are the original ones that had been okay up here where the reproduction rails are. And speaking of the uh, the new visitor center, I understand it's under uh, some going through some renovations right now. <laughs> yes, uh, we we had a little issue back at the the end of January. Uh, sprinkler pipe in the ceiling burst in the middle of the night, and uh, did a pretty good job of flooding the entire visitor center. And that's unfortunate. Thousands of gallons of water oh. poured in, and thankfully it didn't damage any of our new exhibits in there. Okay. We dodged some trouble there, but it did ruin the entire floor in the visitor center, and then part of the ceiling fell down. So oh, really? Over the last couple of months, our, our maintenance crew has been making repairs to the building so that hopefully we'll be able to reopen we're shooting for the, the beginning of May. Okay. Uh, we've had the usual problems that other folks have had with obtaining materials, whether right. it's the flooring or ceiling tiles or carpeting. Taking maybe a little bit longer than we anticipated to get the visitor center open from the, the damage that was caused by the pipe burst, yeah. but uh, we want to do it right. Uh, so we're, we're shooting for another, another few weeks. The repairs should be completed and uh, we'll, we'll make an announcement, uh, probably send out a press release uh, on our website, social media, just letting folks know that, that hey, we're, you're, you're open, we're open and you can come in and, <laughs> and see the visitor center, tour the exhibits, watch our park film, and things will be back to normal around here. That's there. right, you guys have like a, a movie theater yes. in there. Yes, we show a 20-minute film about the Allegheny Portage Railroad. Very, very good film. I don't uh, think I've ever seen a, it. <laughs> does a great job uh, breaking down uh, what can the, the, the technology end of the story can, yeah. can get a little bit hard to understand. And the, 
the narrator that's in the movie does a great job of breaking that down to to a level that anybody can understand exactly what the Allegheny Portage Railroad and the Mainline Canal were all about. Yeah. So I recommend as soon as as soon as, as our soon as visitor open. centers open again, I'll let you know so you can okay. come up and and watch our film. I highly recommend it. Okay, okay, and that's um. You had mentioned announcing whenever that happens. You guys yes. have both a, a Facebook page and an Instagram account. And I think a Twitter account yes. too, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll get that information out there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's good to be connected like that, right? Yes, yes. So we're back in, uh, in the engine house again. Uh, that was actually, that was a really nice hike. It was beautiful. And actually we came across, um, you know, we walked right by the Lemon House mm-hmm. and uh, the... Uh, open field beside that made me think of a demonstration I saw here one day of I think it was the militia that was being sent to the Mexican-American war yes is that right yes that's correct okay (laughs) there was a group of railroad and canal workers who belonged to the local militia unit in the 1840s the the equivalent of the National Guard and reserves at the time and when uh a war started between the the United States and the Republic of Mexico in 1846. Uh, this local militia unit was one of the units called into federal service, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, these these guys that were probably had never been too many miles from the from the summit here right. uh, found themselves on their way to to Mexico and fought through all the major battles in the Mexican War, especially on the the campaign from Veracruz on the coast to mm-hmm. Mexico City. Uh, culminating with the the capture of Mexico City in September of 1847. Okay. And uh, the this particular militia unit there called the American Highlanders, and their militia captain was also the superintendent of the Allegheny Portage Railroad, John White Gary, who uh, later on became uh, a general in the Civil War, was governor of Pennsylvania, uh, but he he led the unit in the Mexican-American War. They were part of they became part of the Second Pennsylvania Volunteers, and again through. Okay those major campaigns and battles throughout Mexico. And it's one of those, uh, as a whole, the Allegheny Portage Railroad is one of those little known stories. Right. And, the, and the American Highlanders and these, these uh, soldiers that fought in the Mexican War are even a, a, a lesser known a part lesser, of that yeah. story. <laughs> and so that's one of the things that we try to share here at the park when talking about the workers' story, which is a yeah. big thing that we talk about with all of those historic demonstrations. Uh, that's sort of part of that where we uh, talk about the American Highlanders and some of the individual soldiers and then just uh, what it was like to be a soldier at the time in the 1840s, the, uh, the, the uniforms or other clothing that they wore, the equipment that they carried, the, the weapons that they carried, and then we, we culminate that talk with a black firing, black powder firing demonstration. See, with, that's, what, that's with, what we walked past that fence and I was like, I remember being here. <laughs> yeah, we do that a few times uh, over the course of the summer. Yeah. You so... Do you have any other, I know you said about, uh, you know, the APRR is, is not well known to begin with, and then you have these other ones. Any other lesser known stories that you guys kind of highlight on? Well, the workers are a big thing, but then the, the traveler experience okay. we highlight on because everybody can relate to traveling. Well, you said a we, week in those we, small quarters. <laughs> so we, we can we can all relate to whether it's the being in cramped conditions on an airplane or a train or a bus or something, uh, annoying fellow passengers. They, <laughs> you know, we experience that now. They experience it yep. then. Uh, bad food, yep. uh, bad road food. Uh, they, <laughs> they, they had that then. So it's, it's something that's very relatable. Yeah. And then in addition to that, we talk about some of the more famous travelers on the railroad. 
uh, who uh, some people of, of pretty high note, uh, yeah. Charles Dickens. I was just going to say that. That's probably a, the most famous person that traveled. Yeah, that popped into my head because I think in uh, in the visitor center you sell the book, right? The, he wrote about uh, yes. traveling on the, the American Railroad. American Notes for General Circulation about yeah. his, his trip through America in 1842. Yeah. Uh, we, some, some of the best descriptions of what it was like on the railroad and the canal yeah. in Pennsylvania at the time. That's He's probably, the, probably the most famous person to travel on the railroad, but uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe traveled on here. I don't know who that is. <laughs> Uncle Tom's Cabin. Oh. She wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin, and she, she wrote a magazine article in the 1840s about what it was like to travel on a canal boat. Okay. And basically, I, uh, a how-to to make the experience better for you. <laughs> and one of the things she said was one of the uh, – she said to bring, uh, bring your own towels okay. because the canal boats had basically a public – wash basin and towel and everybody used the same one so she recommended mm. bringing bringing your own towel yeah that's probably for the best <laughs> and then uh, like U ulysses s grant traveled on the allegheny portage railroad oh, wow. when he's a young man on his way to west point uh, he wasn't famous when he traveled on here no but knowing that course, he did later that. became you know, very famous as yeah. a civil war general and u.s president and so yeah, we do highlight some of those stories of the more famous people that traveled on here. That's amazing. See, you are a wealth of information. <laughs> um, so I know that, that we talked about, uh, you know, kind of the, the fact that you guys will be highlighting the, the hiking trails uh, yes. in the national park areas in this region of the state uh, coming up. Is there any other projects that you guys are doing more locally or... Connected with the, the trail project that I mentioned and getting that information out to the public to let everybody know the great trails that we have here at our five national parks. Uh, we're even expanding on the trails just because no, like you mentioned earlier that not everybody's familiar that we have these yeah. five national parks right here right? <laughs> close by. And our, our superintendent has been working on an idea. It's called WEPA in a weekend. And just sort of what is WEPA? What, yeah. Uh, Western PA? Yes. Okay. Uh, all National Park Service units have a four-letter abbreviation acronym, okay. and it's usually the uh, two letters from, if there's multiple words, like Allegheny Portage Railroad is yeah. A-L-P-O, Johnstown Flood, J-O, F-L, et cetera. So. And here I've been calling it the APRR. I'm sorry. I didn't no, that's realize. An, no, that's an appropriate designation <laughs> okay. for the actual railroad. Yeah. Would have been used APRR. Yeah. Uh, the Park Service designation for the park is ALPO. Okay. And so WEPA, WEPA, yeah. is for the Western Pennsylvania National Parks Grouping. So uh, we've been um, starting to push this idea of WEPA in a weekend that you can okay. go and visit five national parks they're all fairly really close good. to each other within just a couple of hours of, of each yeah. other. Uh, you can visit all five in the course of a weekend. Is it, is it all kind of in a circle? Because I know, obviously, the, the Allegheny Portage and um, the Flight 93 Memorial are right, you know, neighboring in the counties. What about uh, the other two? Fort Necessity National Battlefield and Friendship Hill National Historic Site are in, in Fayette County. Okay. And so they're at ones on either side of Uniontown, basically. So they're not too far from Flight 93. Down so you could direction. do like a like a triangle. You could you could start at the the ALPO, <laughs> and you could go to Fayette and hit those, and then hit Flight 93 in Somerset, and then come back up and experience all the history of the area in one weekend visiting those five national parks and all that they have to offer whether it's you know for people that like history uh, all five are yeah. 
basically historical type parks. I mean, look at what we talked about today. <laughs> and or if somebody's into nature with all of the, the trails, many great things to see, or just recreation, just whether you're out hiking on our hiking trails or on our biking trails on the part of the six to 10 trail, the Staple Bend Tunnel Trail mm -hmm. that you can bike on. Uh, just, you know, many, many things for a little bit of everything for everybody in the five national parks and that you could you can visit all of those in a weekend and that's that's the our weepa in a weekend that sounds like a lot of fun <laughs> and that's not just me saying that that actually sounds like a lot of fun to be able to do that trip um and, and hit all those parks and you know, just to, to get that knowledge you know something that uh, is oftentimes overlooked right all right, Doug. Well, hey, thanks so much. I appreciate you taking the time to talk with me oh, and welcome. walk with me through the park and provide all this information. I, I know I, I've enjoyed my time here, and I'm, I'm hoping uh, this will get some more people up to the Allegheny Portage Railroad Park site. All right, and so when, is, uh, you know, when can people stop up here at the, at the park? Right now we're in our, our regular hours from April 1st to December 31st. We are open seven days a week. And the buildings are open from 9 to 5, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And then the park grounds are open from sunrise to sunset. Okay. And then when we're in our winter hour period, we're open Friday through Tuesday, closed on Wednesdays and Thursdays. Buildings still open 9 to 5 those five days, but the park grounds are still open seven days a week year-round. So lots of opportunities to come visit us. Great. No reason not to, right? No. <laughs> Thanks for coming up to visit us today, Josh. No problem. That wraps up our episode of Hiking the Highlands. For more Tribune Democrat podcasts, visit www.tribdem.com backslash podcasts. Have a suggestion? Want to get in touch? You can email me at jbyers at tribdem.com. You can also follow me on Twitter. My handle is journo underscore josh.